Yo, remember yo. back on the bully when cats used to harmonize like <laughs> Yo, yo, my men and my women, don't forget about the dean This is not the most the king, yo, it's about a thing, uh, yo, yo The one you let hit it and never called you again uh, Remember when he told you he was about to uh-huh, bend your mans yeah. You act like you ain't him, they give him a little trim to begin Now you think you really gon' pretend Like you wasn't down and you called him again Plus when you give it up so easy you ain't even fooling him If you did it then, then you probably yeah. Talking out your next then you're a Christian I'm a slam sleeping with the gin Now that was the sin that did Jezebel in Who you gon' tell when the repercussions spent? Showing off your ass cause you thinking it's a trend girlfriend Let me for you again, you know I only said cause I'm truly genuine, don't be a hard rock when you really are a gym, baby girl, respect is just the minimum, you still defending them now, Lauren is only human, don't think I haven't been through the same predicament, let it sit inside your head like a million women in Philly pen, it's silly when girls sell their souls because it's sin, look at where you be in, hair weaves like Europeans, fake nails done by Koreans, come again, What's up, Social Nation? First and foremost, again, all praises to the Most High, Yahweh, and the Son, Yahweh, Shah, who the Word called Jesus Christ. Uh, this is your boy, Jeff, and if you don't know right now, this is Social Conversations. This is uh, episode 19, and we got a, a great show um, ready for you. Um, first, I want to give a special shout-out to the sponsors of the podcast, Holistic Remedies, and uh, Click A Vodka. Make sure y'all go support them, and also for Holistic Remedies, um, Make sure you use our promo code, uh, Saucy uh, Meat. HR Me Saucy, that's the promo code, and you get 10% off. Uh, so, uh, shout out to my co hosts, uh, Dad, Mac, and Vinny, they're gonna make it today. But today, uh, we have uh, a gracious guest uh, on the show today. She's a, she's a writer, she's a storyteller, she's an advocate, and she's also an author. Uh, her name is Amelia Zachary. Welcome to Social Conversations. How are you doing today? Hey, so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yes, I'm glad to have you on today. Glad to have you on. Uh, first and foremost, um, how are you doing uh, doing this whole, uh, um, I call it pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> um, but how how you doing? Um, how you how your family doing in this whole COVID situation? How you holding? I up? think we're we're doing all right. We uh we have been safe, so uh, we've been blessed. Everybody's healthy and everybody's safe. But cabin fever is getting to us, man. It's been too long. Oh yes, it's been too long. It's almost what? It's almost it's already been a year that we've been in the house cooped up together. Absolutely, and so. 
we are ready for these vaccines to go out and for for things to kind of get back to normal again. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, did you have like any? Um, did Did you um have a COVID or any, anybody in your family have it? No, thankfully we did not. So okay, we praises. have managed to stay safe. All praises to that. All praises. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this whole uh pandemic has been uh, a roller coaster ride. Um, so. Um, my family actually been affected by it. Um, first, my mother and father caught it, and then um, I just had a uh, recently. I just had an aunt in February that just died from it. So, I just want to encourage everybody out there just to be um, very careful. Continue to to uh, wear a mask, you know, um, sanitize your hands. Also, keep some lotion with you to moisturize your hands from the sanitizer. And also wear gloves. Yeah. You, also wear gloves if you have to, for you know. How is everybody doing now? Are they are they recovering and doing good? Yeah, yeah. So my my parents called actually in the, in the beginning of this whole COVID situation. Um, I had I had a few deaths. I had an uncle that died and an aunt that that died. But um, my grandma recently. Just oh, I'm so it. sorry. No, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, my grandmother caught it from my aunt who previously passed. But she's she's doing well. She's getting back on her feet. She's taking her medication. So all praises for that. Thanks for asking. That's awesome. Definitely, definitely. So Amelia, um, but let's let's get right into it. Um, let's just start with your your, your childhood. Um, be, be, before you uh reveal what what um the major um dynamic that happened in your childhood, uh, take us um. Before that, that big issue that happened, um, how did you grow up? How was your parents? How was the household? Tell, tell the, the audience about your childhood. Sure. I was born and raised in Malaysia, mm-hmm. and um, we are in the middle class family, and everything was pretty regular, pretty typical family, conventional family, very traditional. We are um, kind of conventional, cons- conservative in the way that we were raised is in girls, girls had to do certain things. Good girls did certain things and good girls didn't do certain things. And so things were pretty controlled and we were pretty happy to follow the rules for the most part, because uh, I guess growing up, we thought we, we were pretty obedient children and I was, I was really good at school. I, I was a straight A student into college and, when I began college, I had all these big dreams. I was going to go to business school and I was going to be some big CEO in a corner glass office being corporate in some corporate conglomerate. That was my dream. And then that's when a traumatic event happened while I was in college. Right. So, so tell, 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 so, yeah, tell us about your parents. What did you grow up in? Like, uh, tell, how, tell us about your parents first, and then did you grow up in like a, a so my pa- strict household? My parents, we're, we're a very strict household, yeah, pretty, pretty strict. My yeah. parents were very strict about not going out at night, and like, you know, we had to like follow the rules, and we had to dress like everybody had to dress a certain way that it was presentable. Right. There was a way that we, whenever we left the house, we would have to be presentable and clean and like decent and um, no short skirts and no um, revealing clothes, things like that. 
right, right. But but they were pretty, my they were pretty trusting in a way where my parents were always taught us to be honest, and so they always told us that you know you, whatever you're doing, it's best for you to tell us what you're what you're doing as long as I know what you're doing, even if it's something that I don't like you doing, at least I'll know that you're safe. Right. And I know where you are. And so that was kind of how we carried ourselves outside the home. Right. Uh, um, religious at all or? No, no we weren't very religious. Okay. We weren't very religious, but very, very strict moral codes my, my daddy had. Got you. Got you. Uh, what what does your, uh, your parents do for a living? So both my parents were in broadcasting. Oh, nice. They were in TV production. So my father was in the engineering side of it, and my mother was a TV producer, and she did TV programs and uh, like documentaries and cook shows and travel logs, a lot of cool stuff. Some of them I got to follow her on her um, on her shoots. Right. So that was that was also an interesting part of growing up. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, did you like uh like go to like um your your uh, especially uh, your parents' job to like um, learn anything, um, or just spend a day with them at the job to see just to see what they do. Oh yeah, how was all, those all the time. I, I I basically grew up in a TV station, and I remember once when I was around, I think I was like five or six. My mom was filming a cook show, and the lights were off in the set, and it was all dark, and the lights were all on the set. And I went over to the makeup artist stuff and I had painted my face with everything I could find in her kit. <laughs> and when the lights came, the lights came back on and everybody was like, oh, my goodness, here is Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, growing up, I, I kind of spent I spent most of my time in, in the TV station growing up and I watched them doing editing and I used to play in the sound booth and play with the cameras. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of how I grew up. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, um, during your childhood, what was your your dreams like? Because everybody had dreams. Like me, I I dreamed to be like a a, a pro wrestler or a, a you know a basketball player. When I was a little girl, when I was a little little girl, I wanted to be a singer. Oh, you could sing. And it's so funny you play Lauren Hill because I loved her and I wanted to be like her. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> Absolutely cool. And so yeah. Yeah, so you want to be a singer, okay? So that's what I wanted to be when I was little. When you was little, okay, cool, cool. That's that's very cool. All right, so, so um, uh, take us to uh your, your teenage years and 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 what direction you were actually going in. Did you have a, a serious uh, career option that, you know, once you finish high school, you want to go to college or did you want to get in broadcasting like your parents? So so, so take us uh, what was going through your mind during that time or your teenage years. So when I when I was in my teenage years, I always wanted to be in business. I always wanted to be in the creating and selling and creating a need for products. I always found that very fascinating. Mm -hmm. And so. I studied really hard and I was really good at school and I got into one of the best business schools, one, be, one of the best Australian business schools. Oh. Uh, they had a set, they had a satellite campus in Malaysia and that's where I started my college career. And that's where I began my dream of being a huge CEO of a huge conglomerate. Wow. I imagined by the time I was like 35, I said I was going to be a CEO. Wow. Well, I, I got to drop a bomb on that one. Hold on real 
real quick. <laughs> Got a chopping bomb on that one. That's impressive. That's really impressive. So uh, oh, you got to have big dreams, right? Yeah, you got to have big dreams. You got to dream big. You know, you just you always have to follow your dreams and actually believe in yourself. That's the first step of actually That's reaching right. your dreams. So, um, so a, a major thing happened uh, when you was uh, nineteen. Um, uh, uh, can you um, actually uh, tell the audience what you went through when you uh, was nineteen? So. So, like I said, I started off my college career at one of the best business schools Australia had to offer, uh, and it was it was hard to get in. I had to qualify to get in, and I had done really well in school to get in there. But in my beginning of my second year at college, I was um, raped, and so that kind of turned everything all around, and my dreams kind of came crashing down on me because the whole experience changed my whole trajectory in life yeah ab- absolutely um something traumatic like that um i can't even even all, the, all even all like the bad things I, i've been through and, and, and trauma and, and mental health issues so, rape is something that i could never uh I, I would never even on my worst enemy will put that on him um when when that happened to you um did you um report it right away or did it take some time or so in all honesty at the point when it happened i didn't understand it as rape i thought that i had done something wrong because you know good girls don't go out at night good girls don't drink good girls don't wear certain kind of clothes and i did all those things and something went wrong and everybody around me, my friends, my so-called friends at the, at that point in time pointed at me and blamed me for it and said that I was asking for it. And that was, it was my fault and that I had asked for it. And so I deserved what was, what I had coming. And so it was a whole bully situation. It was a whole bully situation that I didn't expect because I thought they were my friends and I thought I was in good company. Right. And right. so when this whole thing happened, I believed that it was my fault. I believed them, and I believed that I had done all the wrong things to deserve something like that, and right. that I had brought this upon myself. Had I not gone, I, for years, for years, I kept thinking, had I not gone out that night, or had I not spoken to those people, or had I not been drinking that night, mm-hmm. or had I just left early that night, all these all these different scenarios keep playing in my head. And I kept thinking that I could have changed something. If I had just done something different, that wouldn't have happened. Right. And so I continued blaming myself. Right, right, right. And I think that's where the biggest damage came from was how I blamed myself. And I never actually ex- accepted that as rape until very recently. I've been in treatment for 11 years now. Well, you, that, was, that, was, that happened almost 20 years ago. And I only started treatment eight years, eight years after I was raped, I began treatment and I was diagnosed with PTSD and bipolar disorder. And only then was, did I hear the word rape? Mm. Did I hear the word sexual assault? And I I started understanding that this is a possibility, that there was a possibility, but only after almost 20 years after I was raped that I now, when I was starting to write my memoir, did I truly accept that there was a violation and there was nothing that I could have done different 
that could have changed things right. and that it happened not because of my fault. I could not have been asking for it. There's no reason that something like that could happen to anybody. Right, right, absolutely. So it took it took me twenty years to process that and accept that as that. I, I, I mean, I t- I told you, I'm sorry that happened to you. I, I totally understand. Um, you know the the mental barriers uh that you had to get over to actually, you know, confront your issue and and actually treat it. Um, so the the person that did this to you was he was he um very um known around town or maybe that's he why was known to was he was known him. yes yes mm. absolutely he was known to all the people i went to college with and i have a feeling that they were intimidated by him mm. and so they didn't want to go against him but they probably didn't like me more than they were afraid of him right. that allowed for them to behave the way they did exactly yeah yeah this but this is all conjecture right Right. that i will never know because there's no way i'll never know i'll ever know what any one of them were thinking or what he was thinking or what what was going on in their minds at the point in time but this is just conjecture thinking that this is possibly in my closest imagination if i had to predict what was happening I think that they didn't like me and they were enjoying the fact that something bad was happening to me. Yeah. You, you know, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure if you know about like long order SVU. That's one of my favorite shows. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so usually like something like that when it happens, when, when it comes to a rape and, you know, you know, basically everything you explain, you know, we, we really don't know what the answer is, but the way you actually like, explain the story to me, it sounds like that maybe they could uh, be protecting him. I'm not sure if you actually know this. Um, it was a Netflix Netflix series called. Um, uh, damn, what's the name of it? It was called, uh, I think, 21, 21 something. And it was about. Um, uh, a girl who committed suicide because uh, she was raped at a um, a party and everybody was uh, turning against her because everybody didn't believe about the, the allegations that um, she was bringing forward and people was making fun of her and people was bullying her. And you know, and that's, that kind of sounds very familiar. Yeah, and I and I know that my really, story yeah. and that my story is not like a singular story. Right. I bet there are a lot of people who have experienced the same thing right. and, like me, were shamed into silence or, Absolutely. you know, put into guilt, put into a guilty space where we feel we felt like we weren't able to speak out yeah. or seek help yeah. or even know, think that I needed help. Right. Right. So, so um after this after this happened to you, um, I know you said it took about twenty years for you to um actually realize that you was uh sexually assaulted and abused and stuff like that. Um don't let don't that before you actually realized uh throughout the twenty years and you were actually blaming yourself, did did anyone um who you actually explain your story to 
try to get you like any help? That would be my husband. Um, we were dating 11 years ago. We were dating and he realized that there were behaviors that I was exhibiting that was not normal or healthy. Mm-hmm. And so he realized, he said like things like this happen, they're not pretty and they're messy and I should get help. And so he encouraged me to get help. And that was when I saw a therapist for the very first time. And he, even then I was in denial. Right. I didn't, I thought, I thought that I was just behaving the way anybody else would behave uh-huh. or that it was just normal for me to lash out because I've had this bad experience. Right. And so he sat, he sat with me through the sessions and the first few sessions, he was talking to the therapist and I sat there going, yep, uh-huh, no, no, I'm not crazy. No, nothing wrong with me. And I think by the fourth or fifth session, they had listed out all my maladaptive behaviors, all my self-destructive behaviors and my records of suicidal ideation and suicidal attempts. Uh-huh. And then I guess, you know, when somebody puts a list to you, it's hard to say, no, that's not true. Right. So once there was a list, I had to look, I had to take a good hard look at myself and where I had brought myself to. And then I agreed to really part- participate in the therapy. Right. And that, that's when I got, I actually started getting help and I got my diagnosis. Okay. So I, I know you just mentioned uh, suicidal thoughts you had, right? Yeah. So, so, um, at what point did you real, did you realize that that you was at your lowest, um, at your lowest standard? That's when your husband stepped in, or I think it was many times before then. Mm. The first time I tried was within weeks of the rape, right. and then I didn't succeed, and then there were a few other times within that eight year period that I tried to, I think it's, there's no way of saying that there was a lowest. I think it was all pretty low and I just kept lifting myself up and carrying on until I fell again. Right. Kind of thing. It wasn't like, I, I couldn't tell you like one particular specific moment when it was really low because I think every single time, that I had thought of killing myself or every single time that I actually tried, I think you can say that those were pretty low points in my life. Right. Right. No, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I could relate because I, I did have, uh, you know, suicidal thoughts and, and, and actually hurt myself, uh, during, uh, a big breakup with the, um, the mother of my children. So I, I could actually relate to, actually you know checking out you know and i, I told you oh, i'm sorry you. um so uh tell us about your husband um how did you meet your husband was it through uh college or before that or well, grew up together What's my no my husband so he worked in america with my my best friend had moved to america mm-hmm. while we were in college and her husband and my husband um, were working together. And so when he came to Malaysia for a trip, he, my, my best friend had asked me to take him around. And so I was a tour guide for him and his friends. And I guess we fell in love and that was it. Okay. 
was a love at first sight type of thing, or it, it, he had to earn it. It's it's pretty close. <laughs> it was pretty close to love at first sight. We I had uh, never fallen so fast, so so hard. That's amazing for someone. That's amazing. And it was, and I think like those those they say there's somebody for everybody, right? Absolutely, yes. And I think like that's that I found my somebody. I'm so grateful and I'm so happy that I did. All right, all right. Um, what was it about him that um that actually um got your attention? Like I, I could um see myself with him for a very long time. What got my attention? Yeah, what got your attention? His his beautiful smile. He has okay. the most beautiful smile. That kind of smile that his eyes smile and like when he smiles at me, my whole my everything melts. Nice. Okay. But on the other side, but of course I fell in love with him for a lot of other things. Right, he right, is right. somebody who's really patient and very devoted. And I think patience is the biggest one. I've never met anybody as patient as my husband. Uh-huh. He's uh-huh. always cool, calm and collected. I can count on, I can count on one hand, less than one hand, the number of times he's ever raised his voice to me. Uh, That's what, how cool, calm, and patient he is. What, what's his um sign? His, his um horse. Oh, I, I don't even I don't even know what's your sign. <laughs> uh, it's in September. September. His birthday is in September. September. Is it early September or late September? Late September. Late September. So he might be. We never talk signs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It might be close to Libra, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it might be close to that. <laughs> yeah, if it's late September, we it might have be like, Libra. We have no idea, but yeah, but he's <laughs> like the most—he's the most patient man I've ever met, and I think that in a lot, like with all the challenges with dating someone like me, I think going through my trauma and going through my mental illness, I think it takes a lot of guts and a lot of patience and unconditional love and which is what he has given me unsparingly. Absolutely. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Um so you was actually you say you was diagnosed with uh being bipolar disorder or and PTHD, that's correct? Yeah. Yes, that's right. So, um, uh, going through these, uh, therapy sessions, right? How, um, what were some things that you learned from your therapist to actually, um, treat these, uh, disorders and, and how to deal with it, uh, day to day? I think the biggest thing that we use, I use, so there are a lot of tools that we get at therapy. There are a lot of tools that my therapist uses, uh-huh. but the ones that I take home with me is, uh, that I use most often is cognitive behavioral therapy, where we identify your cognitive distortions, thinking errors, where you know the thoughts are wrong and you kind of identify them and then reframe them. Uh-huh. Like, for example, like I have this problem, like I have, um, if someone were to come up to me and say, hey, you look beautiful today, my mind races. Uh-huh. I don't take that as, oh, I, I I should take it as like, oh, I look good. Thank you. 
thank you for noticing, right? But no, my mind goes, oh my goodness, why did they say I, I, I look beautiful? Did she think that I needed to hear that? Do I look terrible? Did she think that I, did she think that she needed to say something for me to feel better about myself because I look terrible? Right. And my mind goes racing a hundred miles an hour over all these other things that are negative. Uh-huh. And so using CBT, my CBT mind comes in and tells me, well, you're catastrophizing and what she said, you will never know exactly what somebody means when they say something. So you either take it as his truth uh-huh. and accept it, like take it at, at face value. You look beautiful. Okay, thank you. I look beautiful. That's it. Right. Or you need to just ignore the ignore it or yeah. don't accept it. Yeah, it's not. Over. But there's no point. Yeah. <clears throat> you don't have to spiral into this whole thing hamster wheel of pain of anxiety over a simple compliment right 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 and so so that's just a that's just a simple example to explain how my thought processes are and you so you take that one example and then you multiply it by every interaction that i have right but right. every single interaction every single thought that comes to my mind or anything that I'm processing, I go through this process of catching myself in my thinking errors and then correcting them and reframing them, redirecting my thoughts. Right. Right. Um, so, so that's, yeah, go ahead and finish. No, I, I was just saying that's, that's kind of the one that I found most useful that, um, I use all the time. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's very helpful, uh, 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 to the audience. Um, that's going through something like that. Um, Amelia just explains to you on how she dealt with, with, with her um, her issue and, and, and trauma. So this might help somebody out there in the audience uh, that's going through the same thing. So um, coming from Malaysia, what, what um, I forgot what, what age you said you was 19 when you came up to, to the United States. That's correct. No, when I came here, I was thirty. Oh, you was thirty, right? Yes. So you 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 came over here. You um you was visit, visiting your friend. Uh, or no, you, or you just I completely moved to the United States. When so you so the so my husband was then working in Japan, oh. and so when he came to visit, he so he worked he worked for the same company in America, and then he was posted in Japan when he came to visit me in Malaysia. Oh, and so, right, right, right. so then like I lived with him in Japan for a while and then we mm. lived in Canada for a while okay. and then we got married in the States. All right. So, so tell me about, about living in Japan and you know, <laughs> all these other places in Canada, like that, that's, um, th- those are very unique places to actually live. So, so tell us about your experiences and what you had to adjust in living in these places. Oh, I don't, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Living in Japan is amazing. It is so different. It is like nothing that I have ever experienced before. Mm. And we lived in a part of Japan in Nagoya where English was not um, very common. Not, if you went to places like to, yeah, so yeah. like everyone spoke, so you would have to have Japanese in order to get by. And so we all learned somewhat. I spoke some kind of Japanese that would like equivalent to a toddler speaking, I guess. Right. And I and they could get they could get me by. And so Hey hey hey, 
Hey, what's up, Source Nation? It's your boy Jeff, the owner and host of Source Conversations, and I'm here to tell you about our new sponsor for season three, Holistic Remedy. Holistic Remedy is a black-owned CBD company that creates natural products to make sure you feel good. Their catalog includes 150 milligrams CBD healing balm, 25 milligrams CBD honey and engaged sticks, and hemp seed body butters in six extraordinary scents. Each product is handmade with love to relieve eczema, pain, um, arthritis, lupus, general soreness, and many more. Holistic Remedies is giving everybody in Social Nation 10% off. That's right, 10% off on all their products. All you gotta do is type in the promo code at the checkout, and the promo code is HR Meat Saucy. Again, HR Meat Saucy. Go and support uh, Holistic Remedies, which is a black owned company, and also keep supporting Saucy Conversations. We appreciate all the love and support. It's a love. It was very interesting the way they were very orderly and they were very honest people. I think the most I took from their culture is how honest they were. So there was this one experience. Uh, we were we took a train going to a restaurant and we got off the train station. It's, it's a subway station, very busy, like thousands of people coming through the station. And there was a thousand, 10,000 yen bill, which is like $100, sitting on the um, water dispenser. Uh-huh. And so we walked by and we, we saw it and we were like, oh, there's, there's like 10,000 yen there. And then everybody was like, oh, yeah. And like nobody touched it. And we went for dinner and we came back and the 10,000 yen was still there. Oh, my God. Nobody had touched it. <laughs> that because been, it's not. That would have been gone to New York. Right? It would have been, been gone. It would have been gone. gone. <laughs> like 10 seconds after somebody dropped it, it would have been gone to New York. I just want to tell you that. <laughs> exactly. So like that, that was amazing to me. Like they were, and there was there's so many stories like that that you can leave leave something on the train and get it back. Wow. There was one somebody left something on the train and it went all the way down the track somewhere else, and the the train driver actually put it on the next train to come back to where we were. Wow. Wow. So like th- this this sense of honor and honesty, like it's amazing. Mm. I've never seen that in anybody in anywhere else. Right. You, so did, that was very interesting. Did, did you experience you know, like any racism in in Japan? I did. I did not per se. I know a lot of people say they have, but I did not. They were. I people were very kind to me, and yeah. I I had a very blessed experience. I think people around me. I was very. Um, I was very accepted, and they were they were kind to me. I didn't ex- experience anything bad. That's good. That's good. So I can't speak to that. That's very good. That's very good. Um, uh, tell me about Canada. I have family in Can- Canada. What what part of Canada you was living in during that time? We were in Woodstock, Ontario, which is about an hour and a half west of Toronto. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, it, it was cold. <laughs> it was cold. Like nine yeah. months out of a year, it was cold in Canada. Yeah, it's cold in Canada. And you see, you see, you you see it hit like forty degrees, and you see those guys running on the street with their shirts off because that's warm for them <laughs> because it's so cold. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! So, so, how long you was in Canada? Uh, I was in Canada about two years. Two years, two years, and then that's when you yeah. moved to Kentucky, right afterwards. Yep. Nice. So, so you have uh, two uh, beautiful children. Uh, tell us about your children. 
I have two beautiful girls. My oldest is they're six and four. And my oldest is a firecracker, and she is <laughs> she has all these ideas, and she has big, 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 big heart. Is that the unicorn? And she wants you, to. You talk about? Yes, she is. <laughs> I call her the unicorn. She she has this big heart that she always wants to do something for people. She can't see people hurting, or you know, COVID hit, and then she heard that there were people who didn't have food to eat. That they were struggling to feed their families. Uh -huh. She ran, she raised funds. She ran 195 k's in 19 days, right? And she raised two thousand dollars to uh, to a local charity that was giving out free food to people affected by COVID. Wow, that's amazing! And like she does, she does things like that, and then she gets me on the hook, right? Because uh -huh. when she does, when she runs 195 k's, that means I'm running 195 k's too, <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, she's she's one of a kind. She's amazing. That's good. And my little one's picking up too, but she's kind of finding her own. She's still a, a lot younger. Uh huh. Find her own path. Yeah. Um, how how much do you love being a parent? It is my life. Mm. It is everything I live for, and we talk about recovery from trauma the main thing that I've been trying to do all these years since I've had children was that I don't want to transfer my trauma onto my children. So right. I made a pact with myself that I was going to deal with this. I'm going to handle it the best way I can. So I don't transfer that to the way I raise my children. I want them to be, to, to be raised the best way they can. I want them to live the best lives that they can. And so I focus my recovery and treatment. Um, around being a parent right what, what is one thing that that you actually uh or one tool that you actually use for your kids wouldn't notice uh your, your trauma that you actually is treating right now i am actually we're we're very transparent mm -hmm. my husband and i are very transparent with our children we have told them about me having bipolar disorder, I haven't spoken to them about trauma. That's a little too heavy for them to handle at this right, age. But, but with their age, age appropriately, we are able to explain mental illness and how mommy doesn't feel good sometimes, and this is what it looks like, or sometimes mommy's on edge, and that's what that's what that looks like. And so we have to be patient with mommy and that we need you to do these certain things when these things happen, and they fall in line, and they've learned how to deal with me. They learn like when I'm in, when I'm depressed. They learn that they have to take care of some things on their own, right. which we've we've of course when when I'm in a good state, we we've trained them and we've taught them how to take care of certain things. You know, have your have your own shower or like take your take fix your own sandwich, uh -huh. get your own drink, get your own <laughs> breakfast, kind of thing. <laughs> right. So that when when I'm down and I'm in bed and I can't get out, I know that they're still eating and they're taking care of things. Right, right. And they do it. And so I think like through this, we've, we've been clear and transparent with them that we have raised very empathetic and very kind, very generous children. They're incredibly kind and generous because they've seen what it, I think they've experienced firsthand what it's like to take care of someone else. I don't think you understand how much it takes out of a person to take care of someone else until you experience having to take care of someone else. Oh, yeah. And... <laughs> 
I know that feeling. Fort- <laughs> fortunate, fortunately, and unfortunately for them, you know, they they learn this at a very young age. But of course, we everything is age appropriate yes. for them. Whatever our expectations for them are age appropriate, and we know what we we know their limitations. And so, I feel like through this experience, they have learned to be very, very empathetic, very kind, very caring, very conscientious children. That right. it. It, it shows outside our home too. I think that's why she cares so much about other people. Right. And that's why she care, She cares so much about other people hurting because she's seen her mommy and she's seen, and she understands that there is an action that she can take in order to help. Right. Right. Uh, and I think these, these are lessons that we have managed to inevitably teach our children through our experience with mental illness in our home. Right. Let me drop a bomb on that for you and your kids. Go. <laughs> I am going to remember this a long time. I got a few bombs. <laughs> you got a few bombs. So That's a good thing. That's a good thing. A lot of people don't get bombs. A lot of people don't get bombs. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell me, tell me about um, your experiences of being an author and getting your memoirs out there and inspiring others. Well, I'm I'm in the hopes of inspiring others. Mm-hmm. I have so I write I write as a form of expression, I write as a form of healing and I write as a form of growth for myself. And it all comes out in my writing and it's out there for people to see and read and hopefully be um I don't aim to inspire. I aim to hopefully help somebody who is going through the same thing know that they're not alone, that their experience is not a solitary one, and that there is hope. There is hope that there is a life that's that's fulfilling and productive and the life that we have imagined for ourselves. Uh-huh. And that's that's my hope that people get from reading my stuff. And also people who've never experienced it or people who are just know somebody going through it or know somebody who, who know a loved one who's going through it or that don't understand it. Hopefully with my writing, they get to see, get an insight on the realities of what it looks like right. to live through a mental illness and through trauma. And so writing has been cathartic for me. It's a huge release. And through my writing, I have learned a lot about myself, a lot of reflection, a lot of, um, um, contemplation and self-introspection about what what I stand for and my values and my strength and how far I've come from where I was. Uh-huh. So that's been the huge journey in my writing experience. Right, right. Um, so, 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 so tell us about the future. What you, what you have planned for the future? Do you have a five-year plan? Will you see yourself in five years? I do. I do. I used to think that, you know, when I was much younger, I used to think that we should have a plan, a five-year plan, 10-year plan. Mm-hmm. But given my experience, and I, I I live through these episodes, and I live between episodes. I live through the episodes and then between episodes. And right. I've come to a place where I believe that in living in the now mm-hmm. and being present and I, that's the saying among my friends, there are no wrong cards. Right. Like whatever cards that we've been dealt with, there are no bad, there's no good. It's just, it just is. 
Right. And so all the scars that we've been dealt up to this day are the cards that have been dealt. So now what we do with the cards that we are dealt for in, in the future, that's what matters, right? Absolutely. And so I live each day. I take, I put one foot in front of the other foot every single day and I live with a sense of adventure and mystery and I'm excited for every day, for what every day will bring. So I don't really have like a huge big plan, but I, I, my plan is to live each day being present in each, every single moment in my life. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, but I will be releasing my memoir at some point. Do you have like a, a, a certain timeline you think about uh, dropping? No. Now? So we don't, we don't, I don't really have a timeline now. I'm still like going through the editing process. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping end of this year, early next year. So that's, that's the okay. hope. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so tell, tell me real quick about, um, uh, adjusting uh actually uh, for, for like immigration and stuff actually coming over to america uh what were the, the challenges that you had to come um had to get over with the whole immigration thing i so i i come from malaysia and malaysia is i, I come from kuala lumpur which is the capital of malaysia and mm -hmm. we're a huge metropolis you think you think like something like new york city kind of city Right. We're a big city, international city. You get like, you know, all sorts of cultures, um, uh, a melting pot, a, a huge melting pot of cultures, international cultures in our city. Uh -huh. And so I grew up, I grew up with that. And we also grew up with the same music. So my husband and I, my husband grew up in America and I, I grew up in Malaysia. We listened to the same bands growing up. We watched oh, the oh, same yeah. movies. We watched the same TV shows. Yeah. Okay, what movies? And so, uh, share with us what movies and and uh, music uh, do you do you like? We were just talking about this yesterday. We were talking about Ferris Bueller's day, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Out, and uh, what was the other show? And uh, we were growing up, Home Alone, and oh. like you know, all those all those shows that were, I I can't think of There's so many on the top of my mind. But like, right, and then we right. listened to three. We listened to Three Eleven. We listened to Yellow Card. We listen to Sum 41 and Green Day and okay. all these bands. Okay. And so, like, we listen to the same bands growing up. We watch the same movies growing up. And so a lot, and we learn a lot of the, our, our culture is very westernized uh -huh. in a sense. Yeah. So when I came to America, it wasn't truly a culture shock for me. Right, because you know, like, I knew how. Because I knew them. We, we, our culture is culture, pretty similar. Yeah. It's not. The culture is not very dif different, so I knew I knew uh, my, my manners, and I knew I knew how you know social etiquette and like things like that, how you meet people and how you greet people and how you carry yourself. Like I understood all these things, these intricate intricate um, workings of a culture. Um, so I got by pretty okay, but I must admit that there were some ugly situations. Mm. Is, is that, that the immigration itself or just dealing with everyday people? No, just with everyday people. Oh, yeah, yeah. As everyday people. There was some, some um, if you don't like it here, you should go home oh, sort yeah. of comments or like, you know, things like that. And that's, 
really hurtful because this is my home. Mm-hmm. I wasn't born here, but this is my home. Right. This is where my children were born. This is where we are gr- I'm raising my children. This is where my husband's from. Mm-hmm. And like I came to this country because I love him and I've come to love this country. Right. And so it's kind of sad when those kind of experiences happen. But I will say they are very far, few and far between. America has been great to me and um, I've, had, I've made really good friends and we've got a good community around us and we're involved in our community and it's beautiful, Lexington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So I'll say my American experience so far is still 10 out of 10. Yeah, I hear you, I hear you. There are some uh, jerks out there. <laughs> yeah. That, that is uh, two country pride and you need to get over it because this is a nation of immigrants in the first place. So they need to get over that. Yeah. Um, my last question for you, um, if, if you had a chance to change anything in your life, everything that you've been through, what would it be? Or would you would not change it? What I would change? I would, I don't think I would change one thing. Mm. because whatever has happened has brought me to where I am today and where I am today is beautiful. Right. right. I cannot imagine a life. I, I, I did not imagine this life that I have. Like I told you when I was growing up, I thought I was going to be a singer. I thought I was going to be a big CEO. I thought I was going to be a big, big gun somewhere. Right. And this is very far from it. I am a writer in my home. I'm a mother of two children. I am a wife and a domestic engineer. (laughs) So it's very far from the life that I dreamt up, but it is a life that is so magical that I could not have imagined it. Uh And so I would not change one one thing of anything that has happened in my life, Uh not even the ugly parts. Absolutely. I know that I said that was the last question, but I got one more question. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Since since, since you used to sing when you was... um... You were young and that was one of your big dreams. Do you still sing like around the house and stuff when, you know, you washing dishes and stuff like that? Or are you just working on a, you know, a memoir? Like, do you still sing? Yeah. Of course. Of course. I sing and I imagine I'm Lauren Hill. <laughs> <laughs> and my kids enjoy it. I think that's about, that's as far as it gets. My kids enjoy it. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Would you mind giving a little taste of how you sound? Are you too shy? Oh, no. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe maybe next time you give us a little taste. Maybe next time. Maybe okay. next time. Yeah, a little taste. Um, uh, Amelia, it's been a blast. I, I appreciate you for being on the show. Um, uh, may God the Most High actually bless you with many more blessings to you and your family. And uh, you are officially... Uh, what we call it here on Social Conversations, we say alumni. You're officially a social alumni, so you have anything you you want to. Uh, I am promote. saucy. <laughs> yeah, you saucy. So you got anything, <laughs> you, anything you want to promote um, in the near future, or you just want to be a part of our panel, um, just feel free to reach out to us, and 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 we would be we'd be happy to um, have you on. Do you have any last remarks you would like to give to our audience? Oh, it has been a pleasure. And like I said before, I hope that anyone who's listening, if you are suffering from something that you even just even think might have an inkling of being 
mental illness or having some some problem i hope you get you get professional help and you get checked out because you deserve a life that you have imagined for yourself and not a life that is cast by the pain and struggles of suffering in silence that is my hope with all these conversations that we normalize mental illness and um dismantle rape culture too so i hope you guys have got something out of our conversations i humbly thank you for uh holding space for me tonight and i hope i'll get to see you guys soon absolutely let me drop a saucy bomb on that one real quick as we close out uh episode 19 um i appreciate uh amelia for on the show again actually uh, appreciate the audience for actually tuning in um we are now exclusively on um pandora so y'all go out and subscribe to pandora social conversations we are now on that platform as well we are other platforms so just go to our social media you will see the actual link in the bio it will give you every single streaming platform we on and also don't forget to check out our official merchandise that's on teespring and also for our audience i know everybody been asked for some some hats i got some some snapback hats in the works so i got some limited edition social conversation snapback hats new era everything so uh please stay tuned don't forget to, to follow us on social media as well uh shout out to our sponsors click a vodka shout out to um holistic remedies and shout out to everybody who took time out out of their busy schedule to um listen to this episode um peace of love Amelia. uh i will be speaking to you soon okay Thank you. Thank you. God bless you and your family. Taking us out is, is the Lauren Hill with the rest of Dua. First is dedicated to the man. More concerned with his rims and his Timbs and his women. Him and his man. Come in the club, I come to dance. Don't care who that you fan, Papa Yang. Like you got yeah. Let's not pretend. The one to pack pissed out by the waist, man. Crissed out by the casement. Still the name of this basement. The pretty face man. Claiming that they did a bit, man. Need to take care of their three and four kids. Been the face in court case when the child supports late. Money taking home, breaking out. You wonder why women hate me. The sneaky silent man. The punk domestic violence man. The quick to shoot the semen. Stop acting like boys and be men. How you gonna win when you ain't right? Within. How you gon' win when you ain't right within? How you gon' win when you ain't right within? Uh uh, come again.